Have you ever thought about your rights and freedoms regarding your money and its impact by legislation from all levels of government? Welcome to the Information Edge with your host, Darren Yancey. Darren has over 40 years of experience in key sectors of the economy, and he's been knee-deep in politics for over a decade. He's going to get into detail on these sectors, the politics surrounding them, what they mean to you, and how you can protect yourself and be involved. Now, live from Texas, your host, Darren Yancey. All right, folks, happy hump day. Wonderful day in Texas. We survived what we think might have been a little tornadic action last night, uh, spreading, we'll just call it early fertilizer of everything on the lawn and around. Today, we're going to get into what is I call the modern day slavery of the ad valorem sales tax or the property tax. And I have to tell you that I have been on the wrong side of this equation for a long, long period of time. Uh, I always thought the ad valorem was a stable tax. Of course it was. And then I've seen from an inside on two perspectives, uh, being on a small governmental board, uh, emergency services board, I've seen what having that consistent revenue, even when it drops from a spending standpoint, it makes conservative people go stupid and non-conservative people go nuts. Then with what we've had with COVID, there is no way that the mayors and judges could have imposed the restrictions they had if they did not have that source of revenue. And you've got teachers right now refusing to go do their job and you've been paying the taxes on it. So today we're going to bring some folks in that are trying to make some changes, work with the state legislature in Texas, get some bills passed, and maybe that goes beyond the borders of Texas. I've got Mr. Russell Bennett here with us today and Mr. Shelby Williams. Guys, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having us on. All right. So, Russell, I'm going to go with you first. Why don't you give a quick introduction of uh, who you are, what you've been doing, and, and, and how this is near and dear to your heart? Well, my background is uh, politically with this situation of eliminate property taxes, the same way it started with you. I heard Deborah Medina speaking about eliminating property tax. And since I live in Houston and she's in Wharton, I decided I would, uh, and she was holding monthly meetings in her home, I decided I would attend her meetings because I thought, you know, this might be the next governor of Texas. And one night she had a, a guest come visit name was Rick Cunningham, and he had done the research in the background on eliminating property tax, and he had created a solution for that, a comprehensive legislative solution, which he'd written a 224-page bill, and uh, it was all about replacing the property tax and restructuring Texas tax system and replacing it with a consumption tax, which turned out to be about 7%. Well, I'd never heard anything like that before. Kind of like you, I was, I was, I was stunned. I'm like, how, how could we do without the property tax, and why? Right. And so, as I learned more about it, I realized uh, what a bondage it was. We never own our homes. Uh, we are living in a feudal system, and um, until we eliminate property tax, we really don't have the liberty that the founders intended us to have when they set this country up. Yeah, we certainly don't have the freedom of, of pure ownership, that's for sure. Selby, how'd you get involved in all this? Well, it came about slowly over time. It was a couple of years ago that I found Russell, or rather he found me, 
and uh, the folks with Eliminate Property Tax. Um, I, I currently serve on Plano City Council, but I've been involved with the Convention of States movement for many years. And I have very much uh, been at the vanguard of trying to restore our liberty. Um, there are few issues that are closer to the subject of liberty than taxes, because taxes, while they serve a necessary purpose in the civil society, they are a portion of our life that is taken from us, a portion of our life spent in servitude. The higher the taxes, the greater portion of your life spent in servitude. And, you know, we're, we're under, I did a tax study almost 20 years ago. Gosh, that's a long time. <clears throat> trying to figure out how much uh, the average person might end up paying in taxes across all sorts of taxes through all means to all levels of government. I'll make you vomit. I tell you, for, for the lower income earners, um, it, it's it's more regressive. They pay more of a percentage because while they may be pay less in federal income taxes, they're getting hosed in property taxes, hidden taxes such as gasoline taxes, right. everything that's baked into the pie that the average person has no clue about. And it's, it's a system which over time has become deliberately obfuscatory. Um, so nobody really knows how much they're paying in taxes. That I believe is by design. And when I, when I started to really um, run for city council, um, part of the, one of the biggest parts of my platform was property taxes, because it, I call it a game of three card Monty that's played in Texas with the property tax system. You know, follow the queen, try to figure out who's actually raising your taxes. Well, the answer, which is well shuffled. Yeah, most people don't know yeah. is that it's the city councils, county commissioners, courts, and school boards that are actually raising your taxes, but yes. they do a fantastic David Copperfield job of making everybody look at the county appraisal district, which takes all the heat. And and I got to tell you, that's 100% true because I, you know, everybody, the, the board that I served on was the Johnson County Emergency Services Board, and I, I termed out uh, in December, actually there was a new commissioner. He wanted somebody else, which was fine. Um, I had almost five years in it. And one of the problems that we had with the ESD, it's 16 fire departments serving Johnson County. And those 16 departments, there were some cities in there, but we were funding those 16 departments out of ad valorem tax. And the problem was, is that if you ran the, the, the scale of where we were at and where our trajectory was in seven years, we were going to be broke. And then we were going to be in the red and then you have to do some serious cutting and call volumes that went up, equipment goes up. I mean, people don't understand a fire truck by the time you buy it and equip it, it's a million dollars just for a fire truck. Okay. That doesn't include brush trucks. So very expensive stuff, uh, all these kinds of systems. So we realized we needed it. I started moving things uphill on the tax and, and it came, we said, okay, we're going to fund this and ad valorem or sales tax. And it was at that time, I just, I, I couldn't, even though the amount was going to be nominal, I mean, we're talking probably less than $100 for most people in Johnson County. The problem was not people in Johnson County are, are causing these expenses. We had people coming through I-35, 67, that had no, no vested interest in Johnson County that we're expending things on. So is that fair to have those taxpayers continue to fund that? And that's really where this started driving from. So it's, it's what they're looking at is going to be, and whether or not the citizens pass it, that's up to them, but it's going to be a, a on that sales tax because that's realistically 
We've got to get to a more equitable system. And I one day would like to actually own my home where I don't have to keep cutting checks other than to the power company. And if I decide I want to shut my power off and live like a caveman, I can do that. You know, if I don't want to pay for insurance and I want to let it burn to the ground, I can do that. But right now under property tax, we have no solution. You hit the nail on the head. You, unless we can get this fixed, you will go to the day you die paying rent to the government. Now, it's a it's a modern day form of feudalism, but it's still feudalism. The Lord owns little L Lord owns the land and we are we are but subjects on it. And if we can't pay our share of the crops, uh, then they're going to come take the land. That's right. We get we get thrown (laughs) in the dungeons. That's it. We get booted. We got to go scratch a living in the forest. And I tell you, the, the Texas Constitution was ratified 145 years ago. We lived in a very, very different world then. And at the time, in an agrarian economy, even later in an oil economy, land was the primary means of producing wealth. And a property tax system in a non-technological age probably made a lot of sense. Um, You know, you couldn't track paychecks back in 1876 the way you can today. You can't track sales the way the state comptroller does for sales taxes today. So it probably made a lot of sense. Your average homeowner who had at the time was a small amount of land, let's say a couple acres, um, they weren't really having to pay much in property taxes. But with the change in our economy, with the change in our demographics, the, the, with the, the equation's upside down. Now, a company can produce a billion dollars a year on a much, much, much smaller footprint of land. Yeah. And they're only paying the property tax on the land. Uh, Now, there are sales taxes, which are being collected at the end point of consumption, which is really one of the things I want to delve into today to unveil how the the, the quote unquote, I prefer the term consumption tax for reasons I'll explain later, um, over a sales tax and how it's a totally different dynamic and how it's much more viable than simply going with a state sales tax and getting rid of the property tax. So what you're saying is don't make sales tax and consumption tax interchangeable. Correct. Correct. They are very different things and they have very different tax-based consequences. We'll delve into that, but you're absolutely right. Modern day in 2021, it's an inequitable system of taxation because government services, city, county, state, doesn't matter what level, they're driven by population. The more heads you have, the more services you have to provide. Um, but property taxes are driven by property value and there is no connection between the two. It's not logical in 2021. Well, here's a question and, and, and Russell jump in and answer this. You mentioned it's not equitable. How then are we, when we, we discussed this with the state legislature, I know there's been a slow roll to get into this. Um, right now I, I get taxed on X. Okay. And X isn't really reflective of what my market value is. How is that system staying in place right there? Because I really don't want to be taxed on my full market value because that's even more to these crazy SOBs. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I can jump in there if you don't mind, Russell. Um, I don't have an answer for that. I'm, I'm about eliminating them. I'm not about understanding. <laughs> well, so then we'll come back to you when we get to elimination. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> when you're ready to go with that, you bring my belt. Okay. All right. Yep. Well, I, I moved across town uh, about four years ago, uh, same city, 
But uh, from the home my wife and I uh, moved into to start a family 17 years ago, it was a small starter home, you know, and we have three children now. So we wanted a little more space and it was a different part of town because we wanted to be closer to school and work. But when we moved, our property taxes more than doubled. Now, part of that was because we moved into a bigger place, but it was even on a smaller lot. Um, so we not only did we take up less space, less two-dimensional space, but we put less wear and tear on the roads because we weren't having to drive so far. And yet our property taxes more than doubled. Part of that, and this is a long-winded way of answering your question, we've been subject to 145 years of Band-Aids on a system that has outlived its usefulness. So we keep trying to retrofit the property tax system to match the modern day realities. And there's just no, no comparison. So to, to your point, you want to be taxed a certain level and not on a, a rapidly changing market value of your home um, based on somebody's supposition of what the market might be doing. Well, we, we have caps in place now on the increase that the county appraisal district can apply to the taxable value of your home. So let's say your home on the market actually increased in value 15% last year. Well, the county appraiser's office can't recognize more than 10% of that increase in value. Still arbitrary, still has no, no basis in what you actually cost the city, yeah. county, yeah. and school board. Senate, but, bill, <laughs> Senate bill one was not what everybody thought it would be. Yeah. And then uh, likewise, you've got some exemptions, like if your homestead exemption in some taxing jurisdictions. Uh, you could get an over 65 or disability exemption or freeze, depending on where you live. And they're still just Band-Aids. And still, and here, here's what really cemented this for me. When I was a candidate for city council two years ago, um, <clears throat> I gave a uh, presentation on how the Texas property tax system worked. And that was with my friend, Scott Grigg, who's running for uh, Cullen County tax assessor collector. And he gave his portion on how to protest your property taxes. After the presentation, after the seminar, a gentleman came up to me before COVID. So people. People actually socialized. Yeah, that's right. Um, he came up to me and he explained how he has a rental property uh, with a widow living in it. And she's on a fixed income. But because it's a rental, she nor he can get any of those protections, the 10% cap, the uh, homestead exemption, the over 65 freeze, that only applies for homeowners. <clears throat> so he was at the point where he didn't want to kick her out, but she could no longer afford to pay rent. So he was actually subsidizing her rent. Wow. She would pay what she could, and he paid the rest because he had to keep paying the property taxes and to upkeep the property. That, that, that creates a perverse incentive for our entire society. And that's when, that's when it really sunk home to me that this system of taxation has far outlived its usefulness. We can keep trying to apply Band-Aids to it, but situations like this gentleman and the widow are going to keep arising. So we can either keep applying Band-Aids as they arise and honestly, half the time, more than half the time that government creates a solution, it just causes more problems where we can really take a step back and create a system of taxation for the modern era with our technological capabilities, with the economy that we actually have in Texas and something that is to the benefit and creates the right incentives for the entire society. 
Now, you were wanting to spell out the difference between sales tax and consumption. Please do so. I interrupted you on that. No, no, no worries. Um, So uh, we're all used to the sales tax system. Mm -hmm. And when we have discussions about changing our system of taxation, uh, we're used to thinking in these terms. Well, if I take away the property tax, my district, my city, my county doesn't have a lot of retail, so I'm going to be sunk. So the key difference, uh, which is really a world of difference between the sales tax and a consumption tax, is that a consumption tax, and I got to define it here, it is based on every point of value addition and consumption. So this is where I like the term consumption tax over what what truly is the proper technical term, value-added tax, but people's hackles rise when you say value-add tax because that's been abused in a lot of the parts of the world. The way it's abused is they apply the same tax to the entire sale price at each stage of production. So if, and I like to use Bluebell Creameries as the example in this. So to make the math easy, let's just say we have a 10% tax. If it's abused, then Bluebell will buy uh, milk from a farm, just raw product, milk from a farm for uh, hundred bucks for whatever quantity you can buy milk in for that wholesale. Um, And they'll pay a 10% tax. And then Bluebell will turn the milk, they'll, they'll buy some sugar as well. They'll pay 10% tax on uh, that sugar. Uh, let's say $100 worth. So they paid 10 bucks on the milk, 10 bucks on the sugar. And then they do their thing. They've got overhead as well. And let's say that $200 of raw ingredients goes into a $400 uh, vat of ice cream. Okay. Uh, they've got to build in the $20 tax they paid on top of that and recoup that. So now it's a $420 vat of ice cream. And then when they sell that vat to, let's say, a distributor, um, I don't know how Blue, Blue, Bluebell does distribution, but still, let's say they sell it to a distributor uh, for $420, the 10% tax is going to be applied on top of that again. So now it's a $420 sale, um, which will mean $42 in additional taxes before it's sold at a Walmart or a Kroger or a GB. So is what you're proposing in a consumption tax, once the tax is charged at one level, it's not going to reach another level of taxation just one time? Or is is it scaled down as it goes up the distribution chain? uh, uh, There's actually a system of credits so that the end consumer is not paying the 20 plus 42 plus an additional I think it would be uh, $56 worth of taxes. They would be paying on, let's say, a, let's say a $5 um, half gallon of Bluebell. Mm-hmm. They would be paying 50 cents, 10%. Okay. So the way it works is when Bluebell um, buys the milk for a hundred bucks, they pay the $10 tax to the farm and that tax, and here's the big difference for elected officials in the difference. Okay. That tax is not going to go to Plano, which has a good retail base where the ice cream is ultimately sold. A portion of the tax will go to Plano with the final sale, but the farm that produced that milk that goes into the ice cream is going to collect that 10% tax on its $100 of milk. That's going to go where the sale is made at each stage of production. And that's really the key to this. When we think, because we're used to thinking this way, in terms of sales taxes, you get a lot of elected officials get nervous because they don't have a lot of retail in their areas. Well, you might not have a lot of retail, but you probably have a lot of agricultural, commercial, industrial. 
all of that becomes your tax base now. You don't have to worry about retail and you don't have to worry about the inequitable uh, system of property taxes. Now, have you done any type of um, modeling? Uh, personally, I have to- not, I, I, all of that is uh, credit to Rick Cunningham, okay. who has done uh, yeoman's work um, evaluating numbers at multiple stages over the past several years. Um, and the the current proposal is in the re and I've, I've spent hours uh, with Rick over Zoom. Um, Mm -hmm. just trying to poke holes in this plan. And all credit to uh, Rick and Russell and the the folks that eliminate property tax because I had this desire independently, but I didn't know what the solution was. When they showed me the solution, I I was very interested, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to, I spent hours just trying to poke holes in it. And there were a couple of things that uh, needed to be refined and have been worked on. It was really solid. So, so, the mo- so there is a model out there showing if we go from current system to consumption system, here's right. what you can expect in terms of what the change is, the ground that's up. Right. In other words, it, it's an inside view of how the sausage is made. That's right. And uh, people think, well, we already have an 18% sales tax. And what we're proposing here, I got to check the math in the bill that's been filed. I think it amounts to a maximum of 8.76%, I think, sales tax or consumption tax. Sorry, I got to watch myself too. Um, 8.76 some odd percent, but folks have a natural reaction to say, well, if you're taking away property tax and you're just keeping the same amount of tax roughly that we have as sales tax, then how are you going to get the money that you need? That's a valid question. Yeah, absolutely. The answer for this is multi multifold. One is that uh, you have to open most products that are currently sales tax exempt open to the consumption tax because for two reasons. Number one, if you're taking away the property tax, people need skin in the game. Now, because it's consumption driven, it's far more equitable for lower incomes than property tax is, especially right. when, when lower income folks rent like we discussed before, like that widow, they get none of the protections that keep our property taxes somewhat manageable. Um, they're just fleeced and none of them even know they pay property taxes. It's baked into their rent. Right. So it's, uh, it, it's a really perverse uh, system. So they need to be paying the, the taxes on the items they consume. By the way, the, one of the other reasons I like calling it a consumption tax versus a value added tax is the tax is only realized at the point of consumption. When you buy it, even if you're just going to improve it and move it on up the value chain, that's when the tax is assessed. The value add tax um, just by its, uh, by its connotation, you don't get taxed just because you add value, nor should you, you should be taxed when that value is realized. Just like if you invest in a stock, you know, if you get taxed just because the stock's value is increased, but you haven't cashed in, then that's wrong. That's flat out wrong. Let me play devil's uh, advocate here, and we're going to be coming up on a break here in about four minutes. Yeah, um, I, I, I can already see hands going up in the nonprofit area, in uh, wholesale areas that are accustomed to buying at one level and not charging sales tax because they're selling to what's called exempt status. Okay. Um, those are two main areas that I could see. They go, they're going, no, 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 we're good. We, we, we can't make this work. What is the pitch to them 
in terms of how this is not going to adversely impact their organization or their type of business? That's one of the most beautiful aspects to this. Now, we already have a robust sales tax system in Texas, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Everything in the sales tax system goes through the state comptroller. So all sales tax receipts go to the comptroller, and then the bills come back out, uh, and the receipts go back out to the taxing jurisdictions, city, county, et cetera. Uh, Well, no, county, counties don't set sales tax, sorry. Um, That technological infrastructure is already in place. All it entails is a slight change to employ the system of credits, and literally nothing changes, almost nothing changes for the wholesalers, for the distributors, et cetera, because they will charge the tax, they'll they'll assess the tax when they sell to their distributors, et cetera, Uh and then they're going to get the credit back through the system because when their distributor sells it to the retailer, um, the the distributor is going to assess the same tax on top of their value, and that credit's going to go back down the chain so that the two things, number one, the end consumer is still only charged 8.65% total on the combined value of everything that went into the sausage. Second, every taxing jurisdiction that had the, the, component, the companies that produce the component parts of that final good is going to get taxed from that instead of just the final jurisdiction where the sale was ultimately made. And nonprofits, by the way, to answer that part, um, they, they will, should still be able to apply for uh, tax credits and exemptions uh, like currently, you know, nonprofits can um, get a, a property tax exemption. Right. But if you're, depending on what you're spending money on, uh, you know, recognizes the difference between office supplies and food that you're distributing uh, to those in need, then whatever tax you're paying that is already calculated, it's already calculated with the comptroller, um, whatever tax you're paying, you maybe get a credit for that to offset your uh, tax expenses and still receive a tax break. Hmm. Okay. Governmental, public, and nonprofit organizations will be exempt. They would still remain exempt? They'll be exempt, yeah. But both, okay. everything that's exempt today and, and those organizations that are exempt now will continue to be exempt. Okay. Uh, but there's a difference between exemption and exclusion. And, and that's when we talk about broadening the tax base, we're talking about broadening it to those things that are currently excluded. Right. The things that are exempt today will still be exempt. So those things that, such as groceries, prescriptions, over-the-counter drugs, medical devices, services, okay, uh, okay. Those, those kind of things will continue to be exempt, and they won't impact okay. those people who <clears throat> will benefit from that. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Folks, you're listening to the Information Edge podcast with Darren Yancey. We've got Russell Bennett and Shelby Williams today talking about modern-day slavery of the ad valorem tax. By the way, this is a live show. You can call in at 866-472-5788 if you want to be part of the show. We're going to take a quick break, pay a few bills, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. 
Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. You are listening to The Information Edge with Darren Yancey. To reach the program today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to darren at darrenyancey.com. Now, back to the Information Edge. All right, folks, welcome back to the Information Edge podcast. Darren Yancey, we've got Russell Bennett and Shelby Williams here today. This is a live podcast, and we'll rebroadcast it later. Call in at 866-472-5788. We have two rules. Number one, we talk. We don't yell. And number two, we don't do profanity. If you do either one of those, you will be part of that giant flushing sound that I'll have my producer do when we cut you off air. Okay, now, Shelby, we were talking about the model and you threw out 8.76, and in the back of my mind, it's going, the math don't add up. That's too low. It's got to be higher. And you say? Uh, Two things. First, imagine how much the property tax system by itself costs, not just cost taxpayers, but cost to run. All the the, the protests, the appraisals, um, the the folks in every county across the state, all of that expense goes away. But – that's not really going to move the uh, move the needle enough, quite a bit, but not enough. <clears throat> if you apply, if you assume we need a 15, 20, 23 percent uh, tax, consumption tax to replace, or often it's sales tax, to replace the property tax, that's because you're assuming most of the same things that are exempt now are going to stay exempt. But of course, as we discussed, they're not by necessity. Now, that doesn't mean they're inequitable, again, because lower income folks are still going to have a lower overall tax burden because that property tax is going to be shed. So when if you have a certain amount of goods and services that are sold right now, and I don't know what that number is in Texas, let's just say it's $100 billion to make the math easy, <clears throat> um, but you've got an additional $50 billion worth of sales that are exempt from taxes, then uh-huh. yeah, you might assume you need a 15% uh, sales tax to overcome the property tax gap. But when you open up that additional 50 billion in sales to uh, a, a modest taxation, then suddenly your, your whole tax base increases. So you gain, you gain 
an enormous tax base that we don't currently have under the sales tax model. Okay. Now let's talk about getting rid of this booger. Um, Russell, you're doing some work. Tell us, I know there's been a bill filed. I didn't read it because I wanted to go into this, you know, open my eyes. Tell, tell us about what uh, you're doing right now and stuff that's going on in Austin. Well, let me start from the beginning. This bill was, was written back in about 10 years ago by Rick Cunningham, who's an economist attorney. And he started this because, like you and I, he got disgruntled with his property tax. And he realized what an unfair system it was. So he started looking into what kind of studies there had been done that had gone down to the uh, level of the taxing jurisdiction. So he didn't find anything. He found a lot of things that were done on a macro level, uh, like TPPF, Texas Public Policy Foundation, has done a couple of times. But he didn't find anybody that, that looked at it on a, on a lower level. And so he, he wound up doing his own study. And he, he the end result was that he discovered that by expanding the, the tax base, he couldn't get sales tax to work. So that's why he went to this consumption tax that Shelby's talking about. And there's some reasons behind that. But when he, what he discovered was that by expanding the sales tax base or the tax base, he could replace all of the major taxing uh, revenues that the state collects with a 7% state tax. And so wow. he, he, from that, he, he developed his bill, his, his study here that he, that he uh, created from uh, his research was about 159 pages. And from that, he, he wrote a bill, a 224-page bill, that was eventually sponsored. Deborah Medina advocated for it. And a representative named George Lavender in 2013 sponsored it in the House. Harvey Hildebrand was the, was the chair of the Ways and Means Committee. Yep. He liked it. And they promoted it. But it had to go through Ledge Council and the Legislative Budget Board. Time ran out. It didn't get to the floor. And nobody returned to pick it back up. So I had, like I said, I'd been involved with Deborah and her campaign. I'd heard and met Rick. I'd heard what he had done. And I'd heard the uh, rationale behind it. And I thought, this is a pity, you know, that, that nobody has uh, carried this forward. And actually, was, I'll be honest with you. Russell is criminal. I, I agree. <laughs> it's not just it's not just a pity. It's criminal. Well, for me, it was it was just really disappointing. And I started looking around, thinking, who who uh, can? Who, I was looking for somebody to take the lead on this, and nobody was doing it. But about 2016, December 2016, I was on Facebook, and Jonathan Sicklin started uh, floating trial balloons. What do you think about eliminating property tax? He was asking, you know, his, his uh, friends on Facebook, and I said. I raised my hand. I said, I have a, I have a solution because I thought, you know, here it is. It's already there. It's, it's, it's already, the legislature has already got it. And what, what happened was we wound up meeting Rick and Deborah and I met with Jonathan Stickland in Austin in January of 2017. The session was already in, uh, underway. And we, laid it out to him and we, we were looking for him to sponsor it. But he says, my place, look, guys, I, I love you and I appreciate what you're doing. I agree with you, but my plate's full. I can't do it. So we, uh, 
we thought, okay, we'll, we'll just wait and we'll try again. But we did, I did start to look around and solicit or recruit, try to recruit other legislators to, uh, to sponsor the bill. And uh, we met with a couple who listened to us, but were, nobody was interested. In fact, they backpedaled on us when we, when we presented it to them about what we could do about eliminating property tax. I bet they did. <laughs> there, trust me, there's nobody that really wants to, to touch this. They want to no. do the least amount of possible to placate taxpayers and keep them uh, from rising up and riding. Well, here's one, here's one thing I can tell you that's, that's built in against it, and, and Shelby alluded to it, is, okay, let's say you get this through and you get the program. Um, that human infrastructure that's in place to carry out the current system. Now, I can't see it being wiped out because you're still going to have to have people to administer the new system. But let's say you lost half of the current human infrastructure that's in place. That's political dynamite. And they're going to want to stay away from it as much as possible. That is true. Although when we talk about moving this to the comptroller's office, um, it wouldn't even need half, probably not even a quarter of the manpower to keep it going uh, and woman power. I want to be fair. Um, but because this is you, like I said, this is using technological infrastructure that's already there. It's just making some changes to the calculations and the databases. So, Russell, tell me now, right now, uh, the bill, I believe, is what? House Bill 3770. Um, how is it being received? I mean, I know I know. right now everybody, they got, well, we got ERCOT and it's it's this great big thing and we got election integrity. Is there any chance of this thing moving out to move to a companion bill in the Senate? Is there a companion bill in the Senate moving up the chain? What's, what's going on there? Well, what happened was... Uh, Jumping forward, one of the one of the legislators that we talked to uh, was James White, and the first time we approached him about it, he was he was not interested. I'll, I'll just put it that way. That's my that's my. Larry. But you're but being he listened, kind. He listened. That yes, I'll, I am because he eventually yeah. came through, and he is he's to be commended for that. Okay. But every once in a while he would call me up and we'd talk and we'd, we'd have an hour and a half conversation on the phone. And uh, last summer I had, as, as I started to advocate for it with other uh, legislators, we had one of those conversations where James called me uh, out of the blue and we had this long conversation. And so the next thing that happened was uh, we were presenting it to him. He was asking questions. He has obviously had a change of heart. I think that a lot of it had to do with uh, two to three years of his constituents uh, constantly telling him that they wanted to Tired see of it. property tax eliminated. Yeah. And I guess, uh, you know, with people slow as fast, and he came around to the point where he said, I'm, I'm ready to sponsor this bill. And we said, okay. So he and I worked on it. That was in September. We had a hurricane that slowed us down. We got it out in October. Our intention was to early file on November 12th, which is what my intention was too. That was my plan. It was like, if I can find a sponsor right, and we can early file, we got a chance of getting this ahead and then to find a co-sponsor in the front. So we went ahead and, and, and he uh, had put it through ledge council. They took it. Uh, that was the 1st of October. 
Didn't hear anything back from them until the almost the end of December, the 22nd of December, Jones gave me a call and he says, we got to talk. And the ledge council wanted to have decided that they, rather than take the 224 page bill that we already had and edit it, they said, we're going to do a complete rewrite. Well, that's not a good thing. That's not no, really it's not a good thing. Hear. No. Uh, especially that late. And I thought, and, and uh, no surprise, they had 7,000 other bills on their plate to do as well. Right. I thought, this, this is my expectations of this getting out of Ledge Council are almost zero. Well, does it have a, a companion bill in the Senate? Well, they did get it out, but they got it out two days before the end of the filing deadline, which was March 10th. And we looked at it and we had no time to review it or edit it or change it. We just had to say, is this acceptable? And what they did was they came back with a 12-page bill. We're going down from a 224-page to 12-page bill. And okay. they said, we'll, we'll exempt uh, sales franchise or we'll, we'll eliminate sales franchise and property tax. With and they, they came up with 6.72, but that was that was actually a break-even number that I had uh, that came from one of my spreadsheets where I did the um, the macro level analysis in 2019. So it wasn't what we asked them for. We asked them for seven percent. I think so, a lot. Uh, of, I mean, again, I'm thinking 15 to 20, and and you guys are we're talking somewhere between seven to less than nine percent. When you when yeah, you talk here, about that's 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 big stuff. Here's what we're looking at based on. I mean, we were looking at replacing not only sales, franchise, and property tax. We were looking at replacing sixty other taxes that are uh, major taxes for the state of Texas, and replacing them with a fast, efficient, fair consumption tax, all at seven percent. Our sales tax right now is about. 32% of our gross domestic product in Texas. We were looking at it about doubling that. And with that, we would be able to do the 7%. But they came back only with a, a few of these things, property tax being one, franchise the other. Those are two big ones. Those, those are big. We, those, there's no question. Those we, are big we ones. We definitely and... want business on our side. And they'll, they'll like the franchise tax. So looking at it, really, I mean, we're just what we're talking about uh, uh, eliminating we're looking at six uh, percent sales tax. I mean, six so, percent. Do, do we think it's got a chance of getting out of this committee to go before? The I didn't House have before. time enough to get the co-sponsor. I had okay. one day, and okay. we took one shot at Bob Hall, who we'd already talked to, and I got the response from him that I expected. And that was, "Look, you know, I'm I'm with you on this, but I haven't don't have time to read this bill. I can't I can't tell you that I can." co-sponsored it so we didn't get that co-sponsorship but that was the thing that we were at. that's really what we wanted to see happen was it sponsored in the house it co-sponsored in the senate and we fast-tracked through both uh, at the same time so, so we got this, to go at this point do we figure we're it's it's dead for this session i wouldn't say Darren, it's dead. I, I gotta i gotta say this thing has surprised me i, I didn't even think it was this far so to say that it's dead for this session i'm not gonna say that Okay. I'm going to say that we have we have a fighting chance, uh, really, and, and we've got 8,700 members who are going to push the legislature on this, and we are going to right now our next step uh, since we couldn't get the co-sponsor is to now go after the Ways and Means Committee and the chair 
and get them to hold a hearing and not to do it uh, to slow, you know, to slow walk it, but to get it up front so that we can uh, get people in there so they can hear what uh, we want to do, that we want this bill to be sent to the floor. And so really, really now it's a matter of getting the message out to we, the people. Exactly. So we, the people can start contacting the committee members yes. and other house members, as well as yes. this, the, the upper chamber and making them go through now, which specific and, committee? And we're looking for co-sponsors in the house to get, you know, to support James okay. White. I mean, he's, he's done this on his own by himself. Yep. Well, I know and, this, I've got something on my site. Uh, people go to the information edge.net. You go to government sites, go down to state sites. I've got all the legislatures on there, and it's basically designed to take them to the committee. Texas legislature is on there. You can pull it up, and you can start finding members of the House. Uh, that bill number, again, is, what is it, 37? 3770. 3770. So that's the bill everybody needs to go through. I'm going to pin it on the site because realistically at this point, if, if we get phone calls, if we get emails, if we're going into representatives and senator sites and we're saying, Hey, this needs to be a priority. Uh, it'll get moved up. Now here's something that it kind of creeped into my head. Obviously now Shelby, you're in a little bit different situation. You're sitting on a city council. Okay. And, and cities do charge taxes as do counties. Um, Where's the control of the money going to go? Let's let's assume in a perfect world, we got this passed, we've got it through. Right now, a lot of this stuff is going to local. Uh, major matter of fact, it's all going to local, being spread out in different things. Uh, that's going to change, I would assume, under this new system. How do you think the municipalities and counties and school boards are going to fight this? Yep. And that actually is the other part of the equation here. It's not just getting the public to call their House reps and state senators. It's educating public and legislators on how this and local elected officials on how this actually works. Um, because, I mean, Plano, like I said, we're the ninth largest city in Texas. We've got a pretty good commercial base, but that's not just we got a pretty good retail base, too. But most uh, of the property taxes that are collected do go to the local level. And then you've got a, a chunk that goes through the state via Robin right. Hood. Right. Um, but the, the bill as written allows local taxing jurisdictions to assess this consumption tax on their area. So okay. that, that is what is envisioned to replace the property tax. Now, as we discussed, if you just replace it with a sales tax, that's going to kill some cities. Right. But if it's a consumption tax, almost everywhere has a, a base of commercial activity, even if it's not ultimately retail. But so, uh, so they'll have a degree of control. That's correct, yeah. absolutely, and and accountability for that because the they'll same they do today. I'm sorry, Russell. The same, they'll have the same control they do today. Okay. Exactly. Just the collection and the re and the sources of the revenue will be different. That's all. Because However, that's a, that's something I can see just from a battle standpoint. Oh that's yeah. Right. And I can tell you from sitting on an ESD, they start saying, oh, we're going to lose our ad valorem, ah, you know, because they like that consistency. They like that money coming in because when that well, money's coming in, they spend like to it. And raise it whenever they want to pretty much. Yeah. And, and, and that was my, I mean, I, I, like I said, this past year, the, the budget process, and I'd, I'd been on five different budget processes, we got through and there was something that was on the budget. I did not like it. I told them, I said, if you put it on here, I said, I made like 99.9% .9 of this budget, but I will vote against the budget. 
Sure enough, they put it in, and sure enough, I voted against it. And I'm like, we don't have the money for this. We just don't have the money for this. And you can't keep spending like drunken sailors. And then with COVID, this is, I got to tell you something. I don't know if you realize, first off, getting the house to talk about it. I mean, it may, it may take a little bit, but I think if everybody gets the message out that, hey, we could be paying 7 to 9% in sales tax and eliminate all this, you're talking about a potential firestorm of support. Not only that, but you also need to remember there's three states, well, four states that people watch very carefully. New York, California, Texas, and Florida. And if they have key legislation that comes out, a lot of states pop up and go, oh, hey, we might want to do this. I'll give you a perfect right. example. California passed AB5. Not a fan of it. What has happened? There's a bill going through Congress right now called the PRO Act, which is basically the federal level of it. So if you've got something like this, this is something that could really be a catch-all and one of the ways to go back and take control because I don't know that we're going to have a convention of states. I'd love to have it. We need to have it. I just don't know that we're going to have it. Well, uh, yeah, obviously, I uh, feel the same way that we need it, um, but that's actually a good illustration. You asked, uh, is it is it dead this session? Does it have a chance? Um, even if it doesn't pass 3770, even if it doesn't pass this session, that doesn't mean it's dead. And the Convention of States yeah. is a prime example. We went up to bat first in 2015, uh, got out of the House, failed in the Senate. But we learned a lot, and we went up again in 2017 and, and had phenomenal, uh, phenomenal support behind us, and we passed. Most earth-shaking legislation takes more than one session to pass. And while I would love for this to pass this session and do something about it right now, if we can build a, uh, a phenomenal amount of awareness and understanding, real understanding about this system and get people who, like we discussed this earlier, have just grown up all their lives with this system and they figure this is just how it works. Right. Um, if we can get people to snap out of that mindset of this is just how it works, then we can make real headway if we don't pass this session, next session. Now, let me ask you, and we're, we're coming up. We've got four minutes to the end of the show. Do, yeah. Is there a website that has uh, this model that people could actually go on and, and, and look at to start educating themselves? EliminatePropertyTax.com. And probably the best place to start there is the FAQs because most of these people will come with questions and there'll be answers there for 90% of what we keep getting asked. And I want to I clarify that when we're talking about 7%, Darren, we're talking about the state level tax. There's still um, the local municipal county taxes. And we are, we are uh, talking about doubling those as well as doubling the base. So there's what Rick discovered in his research, what he extrapolated was that 95% of the property tax in Texas today could be eliminated this way. There are some situations that kind of what we've talked about where there's no uh, retail uh, services or, or goods sold, and those those are problems. But there are there are solutions for those, and if we look at them, there'll have to be a study done to discover what exactly uh, the issues are with those areas. But it could be as simple as consolidating some of those uh, jurisdictions, or maybe going countywide with them. But uh, we've we've assume that the cap would be 3% for uh, municipalities and uh, 
county and uh, the local jurisdiction. So you, your maximum rate you'd be looking at would be something like that. We you know would project to be something like nine and a half or ten percent. That's still that's still dramatically lower than numbers I heard ten years ago. Which and I, I think we can do better than yeah. that. Yeah, it's just and it depends on the local situation. Uh, there are cities that today, like um, Stafford, that are have been for 25 years have had no property tax for their city. They've done it with all just with, with uh, consumption tax or sales tax. Wow! So we have to, you know, take a step at a time. This won't happen overnight. It may not happen in this uh, in this session, but you know, slavery wasn't uh, overturned overnight either. It took time. And, Real quick. Uh, so we're in this for the long haul, and we'll get it done. Are there other states? And then we're, this is going to be our last question, and we're going to wrap up for the show. Are there other states that are trying to do similar things? And, and if there are, do you guys talk? Pennsylvania has been doing this for uh, probably 16 years. They they were a model that I patterned myself after when I when I started this. Uh, but they've been fighting it for a long time. They're, they're a lot deeper. Uh, they're a lot year ahead of it but they also have a much tougher situation in their, in their state. Okay. All right. Well, I got to tell you guys, fantastic information. Uh, I learned a lot today. And like I said, there was things I purposely didn't read because I just wanted it explained to me. And with what you put out here, uh, this is fantastic. When there's a model out there. Yeah. There's always, there's, there's going to be some collateral damage. There's ways to deal with that collateral damage. But when you talk about the overall benefit that could be to the, the, the residents of the state of Texas, it far outweighs it. We just got to get past the politics of fear. All right, folks, you've been listening to the Information Edge podcast with me, your host, Darren Yancey. We've had Russell Bennett of Eliminate Property Tax and Shelby Williams of the uh, city of Plano. I hope this didn't jeopardize anything with you today on the show talking about modern day slavery. It's going to be on the site Folks, thank you very much. Follow Russell Bennett on Facebook. Uh, that's where you can follow his site. Guys, eliminate property tax on Facebook. All right. It's been a great show. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you, sir. Thank you for tuning in to the Information Edge. Please join your host, Darren Yancey, again next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Central, and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll have more to share then.